We are so excited for you to be here this morning. My name is Pastor Nick Newman, and I want to say welcome on behalf of myself, my wife, and the rest of the team here. We are so excited that you joined us, whether you're in person or online. And if this is your first time, I also want to say a special good morning and welcome to you. Church in person, can you do me a favor? Can you help me welcome every first-time guest we have today? Come on. And we'd love to connect with you, so do us a favor. And whether uh, you're, if you're in person, stop by the New Here Lounge. If you're online, head over to propel.church slash hub. We'd love to connect with you. And I am uh, super excited because we are in week two of a message series called Relationship Playbook. Say Relationship Playbook. Come on, we are learning some plays that we're going to run in the area of relationships because how many of you know some of the greatest blessing and biggest heartaches come from relationships, right? In the area of relationships, you and I have, have some big benefits, right? People are awesome. They're also terrible sometimes, right? They're hard to deal with. And so uh, last week we talked about friends and how you and I need friends who are going to carry us in the right direction. At some point in our lives, we're going to be broken. And the place that our friends carry us makes all the difference in the world. Whether you're 14 or you're 55, you need friends who carry you to Jesus. And if you're under 14 or you're older than 55, you still need friends who carry you to Jesus, right? So we also kicked off groups last week, which is really big. So hear me just for a second. I'm not going to plug it too hard. They'll plug it at the end of uh, the worship experience today. But if you didn't find a group, there's still time. You can still get involved in one. You can go to propel.church slash groups, find the group that works for you. And uh, a lot of them are meeting online. So, you know, if it's, it's a, oh, it's a long commute from your couch to your living room like that. I mean, it's not a far commute. So would love for you to find a group, get connected. This week, I'm super excited because we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a good neighbor. Come on, how many of you know State Farm is there? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> We're going to talk about being a neighbor, and uh, there are some topics as a pastor that I get to teach on that I, I feel like I have a little bit more expertise on than others. This is not one of those at all. Uh, Tori and I bought our first house this year together, and when we moved in, we looked at each other and went, man, we don't know how to be neighbors. Like, like do I initiate the first conversation? Do, like, do I take them something? We were a few weeks into it, and we were like, is it too late to go talk to people now? Like, how does it work? Because in the first house we, we lived in, uh, we had some people across the road, but it was kind of a busy road, and, and we never really talked to anybody except there was one time at, like, 2 in the morning, the guy needed help changing a tire. And so, like, but five years, one time, like, that was the extent of our neighboring, and now we have a house, and we've got people to the right of us and to the left of us and across the street from us. And we kind of were like, I don't really know how to be a neighbor. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, well, you know, I don't really have people who live around me, so this whole neighbor talk isn't going to be relevant for me. Well, I'm glad that's how you think. So if you look in Scripture, when Jesus and the Bible refers to neighbor, it's not something that's just the people who live beside you. Because he says this phrase, to love your neighbor as yourself. So, so think about how irrational that would be for just a moment. The only people that you have to love are the people who are directly li they live directly across the street from you. That doesn't really sound like God, right? 
No, a neighbor is defined in Scripture as someone you come into contact with, someone you cross paths with. A neighbor is somebody who you're going to encounter at the gas station or you're going to encounter at Starbucks. A neighbor is somebody that you work with or go to school with. A neighbor is simply going to be someone you cross paths with. And God wants to speak to you and to me on how we interact with people when we come into contact with them. And so that broadens the scope for you and I. And thankfully, we're not the only people who don't know how to really be neighbors or do life with other people the right way. And in the book of Leviticus, we're going to be there today, Leviticus chapter 19. But in Leviticus, there's a group of people and they're starting to do life together and they realize that they don't know what in the world they're doing. So they ask God for some help. And whenever we ask God for help, James says, you have not because you ask not. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God and he'll graciously give it. So God gives them some insight on what it looks like to be a neighbor. Leviticus chapter 19, starting out in verse 9. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be available on the screen. And hey, if you're in person and you don't have a Bible that you can read, I know some of us um, sometimes... We have a Bible, and, and it was just kind of passed down from generation to generation. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but a Bible doesn't do you any good if you can't read it. So if you need a Bible that you can read, we have some free available in the lobby. We'd love to bless you with. And if you need one online, just send us a message, and we'll mail you one. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9 through 10, it says this, When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field. And do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same for your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines. And do not pick up the grapes that fall on the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. If you want to be a good neighbor, uh, here's the first thing. Be a kind neighbor. A kind neighbor. Uh, Kindness goes a long way. Because what Scripture teaches us is that it is the kindness of God that brings you and I to the place of repentance. In our world right now, our default position is normally not kindness. It's like contempt or argumentative or passive aggressive, right? Like, like we kind of approach daily situations when we interact. You ever like gotten out? I noticed this the other day. And, and look, God is still working on me, right? Pastors are people. They're not perfect. So somebody, I was at the gas station. I was pumping gas. Somebody like hopped out the truck and they eyeballed me really hard. And I was like, oh, are we doing this? You know, like, <laughs> like what's about to happen? My default position can't be that. It's got to be kindness towards other people, right? How you and I act and interact with one another really does matter. And so in the beginning statement of this portion of Scripture in Leviticus 19, he says, hey, you've got some crops, but don't just go all the way to the edge of your field. In other words, don't just consume everything that you've been given. Because there's going to be some foreigners and some people among you that aren't as well off as you are. And you need to be in the position where you can give to them what you've been entrusted with. Kindness is, should be the default mode or position for followers of Jesus. It's this habit of goodwill. And you and I are not saved by the good things that we do, but our good deeds ultimately glorify God and point more people to him. I will tell you, you will win way more people to Jesus with kindness than you will arguing on social media. Two of you agree with that. It's okay. It's okay. 
Kindness needs to be a habit and a heart position for us. It's where we continually do whatever it takes to serve others. Kindness also requires intentionality. Kindness, while sometimes our spontaneous acts that we do, what would it look like if you and I planned kindness? Like if we were intentional about making sure we were ready to say yes to any opportunity that God put in front of our paths. One of those acts of kindness that Tori and I love to do from time to time is, is uh, you know, you go through a drive through line and you pay for the car behind you, right? We love doing that. Why? It's not complicated. It's just a simple act of kindness that brightens somebody's day because you don't know what they've been going through or what they're getting into down the road, but you know that you have this moment, this opportunity. And I'm not saying every time you go out to eat, hold on one second. See, I wanted to bless you and I didn't want to cough right in the mic. <laughs> I'm not saying that every time you get ready to go out, that every time you go through a drive through line, you have to pay for somebody's food. Because what scripture says is obedience is better than sacrifice. So like you be obedient. If God tells you to do it, then do it. But sometimes we say no to God because we weren't prepared to be kind. Like we weren't prepared to take an extra five minutes out of our day to have the conversation with somebody who looks a little bit broken and hurting that's sitting there outside that restaurant or that uh, store that we just walked out of. We've got to be kind towards others. In Leviticus chapter 9, verse 10, it also talks about the grape crop. And it says, don't strip every last bunch of grapes from the vine and don't pick up the grapes that fall on the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners among you. I think when I read that passage of Scripture, it reminds me that, that God is not stingy. He's generous. Yeah. And for us, sometimes we get in such a big habit of consuming and eating over and over. And, and when I say eating, I'm saying taking in and utilizing everything we've been given. And oftentimes, if you really want to love the people around you, you've got to sit some time, talent, and treasure aside so that you can give those to other people. For some of you, you have been incredibly blessed with the gift of craftsmanship. Okay, actually, let me, let me put it this way. Right now, it's not that bad. But when we get to spring, for those of you who live in a neighborhood, you know there's going to be that one neighbor that doesn't take care of their yard. And it's aggravating and it's frustrating. But what if, instead of complaining about them, you took care of it for them? Like, what if your act of kindness was to do for them what they inevitably can't do for themselves or it seems like they can't do for themselves? And whether it's laziness or it's an inability to do it, you stopped talking about them and you started doing something. Kindness is this intentional readiness to meet a need once we see it. Kindness is our yes on the front end, not in a moment. So you and I need to be ready to be generous because generosity is in the heart of God. And I feel like one of our responsibilities as a church is to help you be ready to say yes to meet the need wherever God places you. I don't think you get to see problems and not be a part of the solution. That makes you a complainer and a horrible person. right? You, if you really want to grow in your relationship with Jesus and do something in the world, you can't just see a problem. You have to meet a need. Do something about the problem you see because there's a reason God showed you that problem in the first place. 
And so for us as an organization, we want to empower you and equip you. And there's times where people, um, if we're not careful, we pass all of the responsibility onto the local church to take care of the people around us. But now we want to empower you to do that. You have a platform in your neighborhood that I will never have. You have a platform in your workplace that I will never have. So we need to be ready to be kind to the people around us. As we keep reading in Leviticus chapter 19, I'm going to read you uh, seven, eight verses. It says this, Do not steal, do not deceive or cheat one another. Do not bring shame on the name of your God by using it to swear falsely. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. Do not insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. You must fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. Do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. Do not stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. I am the Lord. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly. Come on, somebody circle that. Highlight it. Underline it. You're going to have to do it at the end of this message. Confront people directly so that you will not be held guilty for their sin. So we talked about being a kind neighbor. Here's the second thing. Be an honest neighbor. An honest neighbor. The next seven verses of that passage of Scripture are a series of 14 commands with this central theme of honesty. God's heart for you and I as we interact with the world around us is to be honest. And honesty is something that most of us say we've got down pat and that we're good at. But in reality, we have justified small lies over a period of time. And it actually harms the way that we act and interact with people. Have you ever noticed that there's times in your life when you're dealing with people that the stories you used to tell somehow just got a whole lot bigger, right? And you're way more of a hero than you used to be. I know none of y'all actually made it to the NFL, but, but when you tell your high school stories, they look like that, right? It's these little lies that we justify that make us feel better about ourselves, when he's writing this to these people, he's, he's giving us the, the things that we know we shouldn't do. Like, hey, if you want to have healthy relationships with people, don't steal from them. Like, like, don't deceive one another or cheat one another. And I see this a lot in, in business deals. Um, because for some reason, people think that you can't glorify God and grow a business at the same time. And I'm telling you, that's not the case. Don't deceive or cheat one another. So like, hey, if you're a business owner and you quote a job, be honest with your pricing. If you want to say, hey, I, we charge a 10% markup for the equipment we get, then do that. But don't tell people it costs four times as much as it actually does and then feel like you're getting away with something. If you want to do life with people and do it honestly to glorify God, be an honest individual because God's heart is honesty. He exists in truth and there is no lie in him. There's interactions that we have with people, and they may never know that we were dishonest with them, but God does. God knows when we lie. God, God knows when we're not honest or deceive one another. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. He says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members 
of one body. When we're interacting with one another, when we're talking and the things that we're doing, honesty needs to be one of those things that we hone in on. Being a kind neighbor is great, but if you're kind and a liar, that just doesn't go hand in hand. <laughs> Kindness and honesty matter. Because at the end of the day, your integrity means more than any platform you'll ever stand on. It's, it's one of the things, like, over the years, um, like, God has, has blessed me and, and Tori and our platform has grown here. But, like, I want the people who are closest to me to love me the most, not contempt me the most, right? Like, I want the people who know me to know that, like, the integrity I have is, is the same, if not higher at home than it is here. Integrity makes a difference. It matters. Because every spotlight casts a shadow, and if you're not careful, you'll get blinded by the light. So we need to be honest people in every area of our life. Because honesty matters. And most of us would say that we're honest, um, but the truth is we, we have issues with some people around us and we don't deal with. So let's, let's go back. Um, sorry, uh, media. I think it's Emily. Emily, uh, let's go back to that last verse 17. Actually, let's go to 16. Don't spread slanderous gossip among your people. Do not stand idly by while your neighbor's life is threatened. Do not nurse hatred in your heart. Confront people directly. One of the ways that you're dishonest with people is that you have issues with them and you never deal with them. Because they probably asked you if you were okay and you said yes. <laughs> Tori and I had that conversation early on in marriage. When I would come to her and I'd be like, babe, are you okay? And she'd say yes. And I'd be like, no, you're not. No, you're not. That's not true. Why you Don't be lying to me. And, and, but but, but here's, here's, why, here's why we had to define it as a lie. Because every time I say, hey, are you upset? And she says no when she actually is, her words lose credibility. We don't realize how, how much credibility we lose with people by lying to them just to protect ourselves from a hard conversation in a moment. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, he says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths. So, so Paul, we're, we're talking about being honest with other people. Here's the other thing we got to quit doing. we got to quit gossiping about other people. Paul says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is as good for building up as it fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. So I'm going to hit this one last thing, and then I'm going to move to my third point. But i got 17 minutes. I'm good. <laughs> Gossip can be defined really simply. Sometimes we make it a little too complicated. If I talk about you without you, it's gossip. Period. If I talk about you without you, it's gossip. Well, what if it's good? Okay. How often does it stay there? You ever notice that you, you tend to point out what's great about somebody just to tear them down in the next sentence? Like, oh, oh I love them. I love this about them. But you know they really need to work on this. If I talk about you without you, it's gossip. And neighbors, the people we interact with, become easy targets for gossip if we're not careful. When Tori and I first moved into the, the house that we have now, like one of the first questions people would come and ask us would be like, hey, you got any of them weird neighbors? I was like, yeah, they got us, right? Come on. 
How many of you know if you can't point out the weird person in your life, it's you? <laughs> no, but if you're not careful, you'll label people and it, it keeps you from being honest with them and it changes your interactions with them because the moment you begin to gossip about somebody and speak something over another individual, the longer you say it, the more you believe it. You ever had like an argument with somebody in your head and you thought they were way more mad at you than they really were? Because you rehearsed it so much that you began to believe a conflict that wasn't actually there. We've got to be people who love each other enough that we're willing to confront one another and have the hard conversation. And I talked about this in the 9 a.m. and I'm so grateful. Somebody came up to me and they said, Pastor, that's great. I'm going to confront somebody. I'm going to have the hard conversation. How do I do it? Because it's been a couple years. Like, like they said something a few years ago, and it still hurts me today. And I know I need to talk to them about it, but how do I do it? And so I'm just going to give you, here's the play I run. Hey, I realize i am still got some stuff in my heart that I'm holding on to from something you said. I know you probably didn't mean it this way, but this is how it hurt me. And you just talk about it. Is it a comfortable conversation? No. Does anyone like having those hard conversations? No. But you have two choices, ruin the relationship or have the conversation. Because from the moment that person hurt you, you kept them at arm's length and you built a wall. And every time you build a wall, you remove blessing from God from coming into your life. So is it a hard conversation? Yes. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Well, what if they're not sorry for what they said? That's not the point. The point is that you have the conversation so that what they said no longer has a grip on your life. How they receive it, it doesn't matter. You deal with the issue. You confront your neighbor. Maybe your actual neighbor, maybe just somebody you work with or do life with. Here's the last thing. Be a loving neighbor. Be a loving neighbor. So we're talking about being a kind neighbor or being an honest neighbor and being a loving neighbor. It's not really that complicated. I, I know some of y'all were like, Pastor, we're, we're ready to go deep this morning. We're going to Leviticus. <laughs> it ain't. It ain't. It's, it, it's really easy. We just make it complicated. Right. Be kind. Be honest. Be loving. Because at some point, um, if you don't know this, I'm just going to let you in on it. At some point in your life, people are going to hurt you. People are going to wrong you. See, when we look at even the life of Jesus, Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinless life, but he had 12 dudes that did not live a sinless life around him. And one guy betrayed him, one guy denied him, and another guy consistently doubted him. There were people who all the time created conflict. But Jesus continually loves them. Because if we're going to love like Jesus, someone's actions don't dictate whether or not we love them anymore. So Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 says this. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against your fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Oftentimes in conflict, we love for other people to judge us by our intentions, but we judge them by their actions. And I love what it says to not take revenge, first and foremost. Because 
our world teaches us that revenge is the right thing to do when someone wrongs us. I mean, think about it. How many TV shows have you watched recently where someone was wrong and the first thing they did was forgive somebody? (laughs) It ain't out there. (laughs) That's not what happens. Somebody wrongs them and then there's this whole drawn out plot to where this person's going to get revenge for what happened to them and, and ultimately at the end of it, that person's going to realize that revenge really isn't that satisfying because revenge is a job that you were never designed to carry. Revenge is something that belongs in the hands of God. Scripture says that justice rests in the hands of the Lord. So, so when you and I try and get revenge for something that's been done to us, some wrong that's taken place against us, what we're ultimately saying is, God, I don't trust you enough to do your job. Let me step in for a few minutes. And so we take God's job and we go after justice and we try and get revenge. And when we get revenge, we realize it's way more hollow than we thought it was going to be. Because at the end of the day, justice doesn't belong to any of us. It belongs in the hands of God. So Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Paul writes this, Dear friends, never take revenge. Circle that word never. Sometimes in Scripture they don't have those words never, which means based on interpretation, if I feel like it in a moment, I may choose to do it. This one's pretty cut and dry. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. And I think that's important because when revenge, which is really justice based on the righteous anger of God is there, for us, it's not righteous anger, it's just anger. Which is why we don't need to take revenge. Because you only allow anger into your heart. So leave it to God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Sometimes one of the best steps of trust you can have with God is to just trust that he'll get revenge at the end of it all and that you move forward. But then it also said to not just not take revenge, it says to not bear a grudge against another person. For some of us, we have labeled it wisdom, but it's really not. I talk about, um, this is a leadership talk that I do about the difference between boundaries and barriers. Everybody wants to talk about boundaries. I love boundaries. I think boundaries are healthy. They are vital for you. But a boundary, hear this, a boundary protects the calling that God has on your life. A barrier just protects you from being hurt again. So oftentimes when somebody hurts us, we don't put a boundary up. We call it a boundary, but really it's a barrier because the design of it is to keep people from ever hurting us in the way we were once hurt. And that's a grudge. When we bear a grudge against a person, we let their actions dictate the way that we live our lives from this point forward because we're holding on to it. And we're not just holding on to the grudge. We're holding that person responsible over and over and over again. And that unforgiveness will lead to bitterness and that bitterness will lead to a hard heart. 
So to be loving is to choose to forgive even when we don't feel like forgiving because forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice. It's a choice that we choose to let go of the hurt and the harm that's been done to us and say, I'm going to choose to love you just like God loves me. Which when God loves me and when God loves you, it's not that he holds all of the things that we've done over our heads and he says, because you've done this, I'm keeping you at arm's length. God says, you know what? My cross was big enough to cover all of that mess and those mistakes and I'm going to choose to forgive you. And you and I can forgive the same way. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm, I will tell you it's worth it. Because you can either choose to hold on to the grudge or you can have the relationship with that person. Mark uh, chapter 12, verse 31. Jesus is talking about the greatest commandments. He's talking about how we need to love the Lord with all of our heart and our soul and our mind. And then he says this to tie back in to Leviticus chapter 19. He says, you shall love the Lord or you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I said it last week in the friends message that, hey, if you want good, godly friends, the thing you need to do is start being one. The same is going to be true this week. If you want to be a good neighbor, start being one. Start, if you want to have good neighbors, start being a good neighbor, right? To be kind, to be loving, to be compassionate and honest. As you and I navigate the days ahead, think about this for a moment. What would our world look like? World, a little too broad. What would Mount Pleasant and the surrounding areas look like if a couple hundred people from Propel Church made the commitment to be kind, honest, and loving. It could change everything. Because the example of Jesus in the world is us. So when people first encounter Jesus, they do it through his people. So when you interact with the people in your workplace, every time you do that, they're getting either pushed closer to Jesus or further away from him. What an incredible opportunity for us to show kindness and to be honest and loving towards the people in our world. Leviticus 19, verse 18, one more time. At the end of it, it says to love your neighbor as yourself. But then at the end, it says, I am the Lord. Over and over and over again. Did you catch that the first time we were reading through it? I am the Lord. Don't steal. I am the Lord, right? Like, why, why would he do that? I think it's a good reminder for you and for me that without the Lord, we can't do it. Like, hey, don't steal. Look, I'll be honest, right? I said this at 9 a.m. At the end of the day, if it wasn't for the Lord, I wouldn't mind stealing from my neighbors. Without God, there's no metric for morality, Without God's definition and truth, there's no standard of what's right and what's wrong. Especially when you start getting into deceiving one another and, and things like that. This reminder of I am the Lord 
shows you and I that we desperately need God in order to be kind, honest, and loving. And so today for all of us, maybe it's just this opportunity to invite God into those spaces in our life so that we can live that out. But for some of us, we don't have a relationship with God at all. And that means that we're still a slave to sin. We're, we're still in bondage and in captivity. So our ability to love is minimal. Our ability to be kind is really not fully there. And our ability to be honest has no bearing. But today, if you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can experience the empowerment of what is called the Holy Spirit. It enables you and I to live out those things. So for just a moment, with every head bowed, every eye closed in the room, maybe you're here today and you'd say, hey, pastor, I need to begin a relationship with Jesus. And if that's you, would you do me a favor for just a second? Would you just boldly lift your hand, whether you're in person or online, and say, hey, that's me. See those. Here's what we're going to do, church. Nobody prays alone. We're going to pray together. Will you repeat this after me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen.